that it's not boiling hot outside. Um, it's been kind of crazy with the 90-something degree weather we've been having. Um, but I want to um, thank uh, Brian for his uh, great uh, communion and contribution message. Thank you so much. It was great to see our uh, pictures of Zeke. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm just excited for you and your family. I um, also want to welcome everyone joining us this morning for the first time. Um, a special welcome to, uh, to, to Reggie from uh, Orlando. Uh, from back in Orlando, where we're from, um, it was, he surprised us. And he's kind of lucky that he came in when he did. Or I'd ask Micah to allow him to song lead a little bit. But um, it's all good. There's, there's next time. Uh, he's going to be here for a week, so... Um, I'll see if I can convince him to stay until Sunday. But I know that that uh, is is moving mountains because he, um, he has so much responsibility back home. But I'm excited for everybody uh, to see you this morning. We are going to conclude our um, series on the book of Proverbs. And uh, um, we're focusing this morning on the fear of God. The wise person fears the Lord. Amen. Amen. And so um, we're going to look at that this morning. And so we're going to touch, we're going to pretty much focus on Proverbs 31 and then move into Proverbs 9. Um, but also a gamut of other passages that we want to look at this morning as well. But let's start by going to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for bringing us here safely this morning. Uh, some from close, some from far away. Father, I pray that. You will uh, be with us as we as we look into your scripture this morning. Father, I pray that this message will not be my own, but will be your message, Father, about, about fearing you, about having a healthy fear of you, Father. God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for being so gracious and so merciful to us, Father. We love you. through your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. And so... Uh, we are, again, we're talking about the fear of the Lord this morning. And so well, let us go ahead and start with some context here in the book of Proverbs. And we're going to read through Proverbs 31, starting in verse 10. So let's turn our Bibles to Proverbs 31, starting in verse 10. I don't have slides for this one. Uh, some of our longer passages, I so won't have slides for those. It says, a wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it's still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her, in her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear of her house for her household, for all of them 
are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gates where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gates. What a powerful way to end the book of Proverbs. You know, Proverbs closes with this depiction of the wise and ideal woman. And in many sermons, Proverbs 31 is presented to us as this yardstick to measure all Christian women. A standard for being a good and godly woman, which to many meant being a devoted wife, meant being a devoted mother, who is also this domestic goddess of sorts, as well as active and enterprising outside the home. Many women try to be this woman, which is fine, but some women, but for some women it's hard to relate. It's a challenge. And I think this is done on purpose to challenge us to grow and to challenge us to be better. Therefore, it is possible also for men to neglect this teaching and to look at this passage and feel as though it applies only to women. Single men may see it as a guide for what to look for in a wife. Married men may use it to describe what his wife should be like. <laughs> it's the truth. In actuality, the woman in this passage, the woman in this passage is wisdom personified. And in some ways, she represents the summation of all major principles and values that are discussed in the book. She's an amalgamation of the various wise sayings of Proverbs that we have already reviewed in this series. The woman in this passage is, as we talked about before, industrious. She's productive and fruitful. She's caring and compassionate. She's strong and determined, wise and discerning, and she is faithful. This is the way of wisdom. This is the road to righteousness. This is the path to God. And so I would caution us, brothers, to look not to look at this as this is just for the sisters, but this is also for you, because this is the way of wisdom. This passage has something for all of us. It is not 
It is it's for every one of us. You know, in the children's novel, The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy Gale, the main character of the story, she makes her way from Munchkin country to Emerald City, the imperial capital of Oz. And in order to reach her desired destination, she must travel down the yellow brick road, the only paved road that leads to the capital city. And so the yellow brick road represents strategy. It represents how you will get there. It represents the path you identify as the best path, the smartest way to accomplish your goal. And so similar to how the Yellow Brick Road is the only paved path to the utopian Emerald City, the way of wisdom and the way of the wise woman mapped out in the book of Proverbs is the only path that leads to God and his heavenly kingdom. So a single man and single women as married men or married women we cannot discount what the passages what this passage is saying as as it is our path to God and so I'm going to run through a few things pretty quickly here that I think are very key in this verse in this passage talking about the woman of wisdom here. In verse 10, it says, chapter 34, verse 10, it says, a wife of noble character who can find. She's worth far more than rubies. Now, as you read this passage, what you will realize is that it, is that it ties back to a lot of what we already read in the book of Proverbs. So a wife of noble character is rare, but guess what? You must find her. Like what like the like woman wisdom must be found as well. We talk about and the and Proverbs talks about woman wisdom. It looks at wisdom as a woman that we must go after and we must find. We cannot ignore the importance of finding wisdom. In Proverbs 3, 3 through 15, if we can turn there, Proverbs 3, I'm sorry, 13 through 15, it says, Blessed are those who find what? Wisdom. Those who gain understanding, for she, again, talking about woman wisdom here, right? For she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She's more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Nothing can be compared to wisdom. It's something we got to search for. Like, like, the, like it's so valuable that we have to go after it. 
and we find it without ceasing. In chapter 8, verse 10, it says, Choose my instruction instead of silver. Knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies. And nothing you desire can compare with her. We go after so many things in life. But do we go after wisdom like that? Do we, do we give the same amount of energy to find wisdom as we do so many other things in our lives? She is worth more than anything else. Knowledge is worth more than jewels. Proverbs 20, verse 15. Proverbs 20, verse 15, it says, Gold there is, and rubies in abundance, but lips that can speak knowledge are rare jewel. How are we going after these things? You know, a wise woman, she has a knack for making good life happen. In Proverbs 3.16, talking about woman wisdom. And I hope I'm being clear. It's not women wisdom. It's woman wisdom. I'm describing that one woman wisdom, right? Proverbs 3.16, it says, Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Trust comes from observing and putting wisdom into practice. Same chapter, verse 23, it says, Then you will go on your way in safety, and your foot will not stumble. Why? Because you trust. You trust wisdom. You fought so hard for it. You've gone after her. You found her. Awesome. Now you trust her. And so we lack nothing of importance. You know, if you go on a date and the person you are, you are with hands you a list of rules as soon as you meet. If we can go to that slide. As soon as you meet. The relationship is not likely to go very far. If you want to learn about someone, you spend time with them. You, you do things together. You learn what foods they like, what they like to do in their spare time. Are they into sports or are they into video games, right? Are they into gardening or are they, what are they into? Do they like sushi or barbecue? They like veggies or fish, right? I can see high fives about the barbecue. That's the only thing they got in what I've said so far. Over time, you learn what they like, right? You learn what they like over time. Are they into, what are they into? Such is the complexity, though, of wisdom. We don't learn wisdom by simply memorizing do's or don'ts. Right? We don't learn wisdom by memorizing what we do or what we don't do. We learn to respond to what is in front of us and what is going on around us. But where does wisdom begin? 
the fear of the Lord. Wisdom begins with fearing the Lord. You know, Ed Welch is a Christian counselor known for his work at the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation. And one of his most popular books is When People Are Big and God is Small. Overcoming peer pressure, codependency, and, and the fear of man. You know, in Fearing God, he writes, When God and spirituality are reduced to our standards or our feelings, God will never be to us the awesome Holy One of Israel. With God reduced in our eyes, a fear of people will thrive. Are you reducing God in your life? How big is your God? Or how small? You know, though we no longer have to fear the law, it still helps us know what God's standards for our lives is. And every thought and action can be held against it to guide a Christian's conscience in living a more obedient and faithful life. And so as we, as we have seen all the qualities and, and characteristics for wise women, for the wise woman, that they are expressions and byproducts of her fear of the Lord. And so in Proverbs 31, verse 30, what does it say there? It says, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. But again, this is not only for the woman, it's for all of us, right? And so Proverbs 9, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And a similar verse where I believe it even comes from is Psalm 111, verse 10. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But look at the addition here. It says, All who follow His precepts, have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. And so not only is fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom, but it is also the responsibility of all of humanity. Sometimes we can isolate ourselves and say, yeah, this is for us, but it's for all of humanity. In Ecclesiastes 12, 13, it says, now, all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of who? All of man mankind. It's for everyone. But not everyone knows that. But it is for everyone to fear God and his commandments. That is our duty. That is what we live for. To fear God. And so if we live for that and we're not fearing God, but we're fearing man, something is remiss. It's our duty to fear the Lord. And his fear, and this fear entails a reverence and a respect for God, which is based on an acknowledgement of his existence, an acknowledgement of his power, Acknowledgement of his authority. This is where knowledge starts and wisdom begins. You know, 
one major problem that national parks deal with regularly during tourist season is lack of respect or fear for the wild animals in the parks. Tourists, right, routinely ignore safety rules and precautions, <laughs> right, and that, that, that have been communicated to them, such as staying 20, 25 feet, for instance, from animals like bison, right, and 100 feet from bears and wolves. For some reason, we think we got to hug them. It's bizarre to me. Like how many news reports we see where people are attacked by them and it's like, didn't you read the sign? Why you gotta go hugging this lion for? Like, I know we love animals and I love his nice and furry, but don't hug him. Except River and Raven, yeah. Except our dogs. They love hugs. And so instead of heeding these, heeding the warnings, they try to treat wild animals like pets. And this results in some confrontations occurring between people and wild animals every tourist season. And so, you know, Carrie Wyatt Kent, um, she wrote this article and she helps paint a picture of the fear of God saying, here's what she quoted. Fear of God means having a right-sized view of ourselves and God. It's understanding where we stand before God. It's understanding that, that people aren't big and God is small, that God is big and we are small. It's understanding our size. And so it's not wise to confuse your size before God. Don't despise his size. We are small compared to God. And so all who wish to be wise must first possess this base fear of God. For the reality of God is the foundation of all human knowledge. The trustworthiness of, of, the, of the human mind, the order and intellig intelligibility of the universe, objectivity and truth, universal morale and ethical principles and absolute values are all grounded in what? The existence of our big God. It's not grounded in someone's brilliant knowledge. It's grounded in the existence of a huge God. But do we live our lives like that? That God is big and bigger than us. When we face big problems, who do we go to? Do we go to God? A big God who can handle those things? Or do we, in our own brilliance, try to just handle it by ourselves? The wise person fears the Lord. Outside of God, there is simply no workable, viable, stable foundation for human knowledge. Without God, without 
reference to God, without fear of God, we are building our homes upon the sand with no foundation of wisdom and truth. If we try to build without a God, you're building on sand. I see Christians all the time dealing with their issues without any reference to God. So much so that sometimes you have to tell them to pray. Like, how are we dealing with our issues? Without prayer first, without God, without fear of God, without reverence for God, we cannot deal with our issues as disciples, as people. Ask yourself who you fear. Is it God or is it man? If it's man, you're setting a trap for yourself. You are setting a snare for yourself. Proverbs 29:25 it says fear of man will prove to be a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Some of us may even pray but do it as a performance to impress others. It's like you get in a prayer group and you're praying because you want other people to hear how awesome you pray. Be careful of that. Matthew 6, 1 through 2, it says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let, no, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be, giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Guess what? It's almost impossible to fear God, to please God, while you're focused on impressing men. Because you don't have a right-sized view of yourself. The only reason we would want to impress man with us is because we think we're so big. But yet we're so small. So wouldn't it, make, wouldn't it make more sense to boast in the Lord? To boast in God. Fear of the Lord can be in the form of worship or it can be in the form of obedience. Deuteronomy 5.29 it says, Oh that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always so that it may go well with them and their children forever. Oh, that their hearts would be, be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always. That's an example of fearing God when, when you're inclined to do what? Keep his commands always. If it's this thing where it doesn't really matter to you much to keep his commands and you have no fear of the Lord. 
God declares to Moses his desire that the people would fear him enough that they would obey his commands. Fear can be expressed as positive obedience. It's caused by a reverence for God and or negative obedience caused by this threat of divine punishment. Where we're, where we're fearing God because we're afraid of divine punishment. Hey, whichever one works for you, amen. But in the end, you fear the Lord. In John 1, 9, we get this great, great description here of a worshiper. He identifies himself as a worshiper. He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord. The God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. He says, I am a worshiper. I fear God. That's how he identifies himself. Do you identify yourself as such? Do you identify yourself as a worshiper? Do you identify yourself as a God fearer? In the New Testament, we find Cornelius referred to as a God-fearer as well. In Acts 10, verse 2, it says, He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Do you see the worship? Do you see the worship that's described as we talk about a God-fearer? That he gave generously to those in need. He gave generously to the poor. He gave generously to those who needed. And he prayed to God regularly. That's a God-fearer. It is worshiping. It is praying. It is being obedient. And not shallow acceptance of God's law. Nor shallow repentance. It is giving to others. It is, it is all these things. You know, I was thinking, and I haven't talked to our board yet about this, but I was thinking last night as I read Ezekiel, I think it was Ezekiel 16, 49. I was, I was reading and I was thinking, man, you know what? I'm hoping that a part of our budget next year is set aside for poor. Where we're not just, where we're thinking is we're thinking that, look, we need to give to the poor. But it's our church's responsibility as well to give to the poor. Now we as a church need to practice that. In Psalm 34 verse 9 it says, Fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. Those who fear God lack nothing. And it's, it's, it's lacking nothing of him. It's where you lack nothing of importance. I'm not saying you get everything in the world. I'm saying you lack nothing of importance. What's important? Wisdom. Knowledge. And this is why in, in a history of philosophy, in the atheistic concepts of truth and knowledge have often been referred to as anti-foundationalism. 
where it's asserting that none of our knowledge is absolutely certain. Really? These concepts are intrinsically self-defeating. For there is no foundation upon which to build a meaningful or fruitful belief system if that's how we think. And so it is true. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. <laughs> Guys, there is a God. And he's a God of wisdom. And he expects us to seek it and find it. He expects us to understand that wisdom is more valuable than gold, more valuable than rubies, and that we benefit greatly from it. Again, a wise person fears the Lord. And so because of her wisdom, virtue, and character, the woman in the closing passage of Proverbs is respected by others. And so as you seek wisdom and you find it, you will be respected by others. But that's not why we do it. We don't do it for that. We do it for God. She is a person of dignity who is adored by her family. And so, of course, wisdom and virtue do not always buy respect. And so it's kind of interesting that they don't buy respect, right? But be forewarned that fear of the Lord is not a guarantee of adoration. It's not a guarantee of regard. Just because you fear the Lord, it doesn't mean that everybody is going to like you. It doesn't mean that you're going to be invited to all the parties. In fact, sometimes it may even lead to the very opposite of these things. It may lead to disgust. It may lead to scorn. It may lead to hatred. And that is okay. Wisdom recognizes wisdom. Virtue recognizes virtue. Character recognizes character. The foolish reactions of of fools to wisdom reveal those reactions to the wise for what they are, folly and foolishness. And so in the end, we should, we should not live for the respect of a foolish world. That is not why we live. We don't live so that the world, the foolish world, will respect us. But for the respect of a wise God. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know, some athletes have a bizarre pregame ritual, right? That gets them ready for, for the game. I, you know, it, the Women's World Cup is going on right now, and we don't get to see their rituals, right? But many athletes have rituals. I had a ritual, which is kind of embarrassing to say right now what that was when I played soccer. Well, I'll tell you. I put my underwear on backwards. That was my ritual. Clean underwear, by the way. I put it on backwards, right? And that was what I did before the game. Because one time, it happened one time where I put it on backwards by accident and we won. So I figured, hey, I'm going to just keep doing it. Right? That's my wisdom. <laughs> right? So I figured I'd keep doing it. 
But during the 1998 World Cup, the French team believed that their winning streak was tied to one player kissing another's shaved head before each game. And so other teams avoid wearing certain colors. Some teams avoid eating certain foods before the game. But in the case of the prophet Jeremiah, we read in the Bible that he had to prepare in a different way. In Jeremiah 1.17, get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them, whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. And so in Jeremiah 1.17, Jeremiah is given an important command. Get yourself ready. God wants Jeremiah to know the challenges he will face and be prepared for them. And how does he help Jeremiah get ready? Do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Talk about getting ready. That's enough to get you ready. There is no better solution to our fear of humans than an appropriate fear of God. If you don't fear God, you will fear everybody. If we don't trust that God is all-powerful, that he has called us to proclaim his truth, and that he will ultimately rescue us, we will be easily swayed by fear of the threats in front of our face. And everything will turn out to be a threat if we don't fear God. We will walk around trembling about everything that happens in our lives because we don't fear God. God makes it clear with Jeremiah, fear me. This is fear me. Recognize me as the ultimate source of power and strength and remember my sovereignty. Remember, I control all of this. And if I control all of this, then who are you going to fear do you fear God? Do you fear the Holy Spirit? Do you fear Jesus? Or is, or is Jesus just, just this awesome, cool Savior? Do you fear him? And so I will close with this in Acts 9.31. It says, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. This text records that after Saul's conversion, the entire church in Judea, Galilee, and Samaria was at peace. They were at peace. And as they walked in the fear of the Lord, they were at peace because they feared the Lord. And as they walked in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church multiplied. One of the biggest barriers to the church, and I'm not talking about here locally only, I'm talking about in general, is that they don't fear God. It's one of the biggest barriers 
is a lack of fearing, a lack of a healthy fear of God. Because sometimes we feel like we're too big for that. We're too, we're too awesome to be afraid. Really? Don't let him put his thumb on you. Because then you'll really be afraid. And so I hope you have the same desire. I hope you have the same desire as I have, which is to see God's church multiply. But there has to be a healthy fear of God. That is the beginning of wisdom. And so I hope we will all get to see the fruit of our fear of God someday. And if you have any questions about what was shared today, ask the person who invited you. And I'm sure they'll do a better job than I did explaining the fear of God and the wisdom that comes as a result. Thank you for coming. Thank you for visiting with us. And may God fill you with wisdom. To God be the glory. Amen. Good morning, church. Blessings from Orlando. So let's stand up.